0: And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome to Episode 97 with my guest, Elizabeth Lame. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, 90 minutes of honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions and past traumas to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show's not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room filled with conversations that you've always wanted to have but didn't know how to start. The website for this show is mentalpod.com. That's also the Twitter name you can follow me at. Some of you may have noticed that this is not the episode that was originally posted this week, and the reason I took that episode down is it dealt with borderline personality disorder, and it's such a complex um, and misunderstood issue Um, I got some emails from people who are licensed psychologists, and they pointed out that there was some fuzziness with the presentation of some of the things that we talked about, and it could be misinterpreted by those who suffer from it, and I thought better to err on the side of caution, so I wanted to share this with you guys. Uh, I... I had to show up for jury duty today, which involves taking a train downtown, getting up abnormally early for me. I normally go to bed about 3.30, sometimes 4 in the morning, and I had to show up there at 8.30. So I get down there on about three hours of sleep, and I I'm supposed to report to the eighth floor. I get there, and I can't find the room that I'm supposed to be at, and somebody says, oh, maybe you're supposed to be in the other courthouse. I had no idea there was two courthouses down there. So I know now that I've got like 10 minutes to get to this other courthouse. Otherwise, they're going to push push my jury duty back to another date. Um, So I'm running around trying to find. Nobody knows where this courthouse is, where this other courthouse is. I finally find out where it is. It's like a block away. But downtown, it's almost like Vegas where the buildings are so big, you think it's going to take you like four strides to get there <laughs> It's like you're on a treadmill. You're walking for like eight minutes, and you haven't made any distance. I get about halfway there, and I'm like, I'm going to be too late. I know. I'll call, and then they'll make an exception because I'll tell them that I went to the wrong building. I get this woman on the line. It was like out of a hack comedian's bit, a strong Indian accent. I can't understand what the fuck she's saying. I'm sweating now. I'm I'm asking her to repeat things. She's getting annoyed with me, and I just wanted to scream. I, I don't know what I wanted. I just wanted to throw my phone at a passing car and just fucking scream. And this is where all the years of going to support groups and going to therapy and talking about my shit helped. I stopped for a second, and I went, what is my part in this? cuz I was pissed at the court system, I was pissed at who makes the maps for down there, that there weren't more people to give me information about where things are. And I had to I had to look at the fact that I didn't really look at what the address was, where I was supposed to go. It was my fault that I didn't know where the fuck I was going because I just assumed I knew where I was going. And all of my anger left for about 15 seconds it kind of transformed into resentment at myself but then I went you know what I did enough of that for years I know whatever power there is in the universe certainly doesn't want me hating myself for the rest of the day and I was done with it and I got back on the train and I I was too late so they had to push my jury duty to another month I got back on the train and I had a nice train ride back and now I have the flu I wish there was a better ending for that but that in a nutshell is what is awesome about support groups that's the kind of stuff that i that i learned there because it sucks walking around all day stewing about other people and not seeing where the truth really lies all right i'm gonna read an email from daphne she writes please tell lilith lilith was our guest from our uh episode last uh last week she's a uh, a woman who moons, moonlights as an escort. She writes, Please tell Lilith that I wish there was an escort like her in male form because I've been in an emotionally abusive marriage to the point where I began binge drinking to cope. But I would love to cry in a loving man's arms for four hours. Maybe it would cure my alcoholism. I don't know if she was kidding or not, um, but no amount of, uh, I don't care how big his guns are. It's not going to cure your alcoholism. If it did, I would live in a gay bar. Um, I want to read some uh, responses from the Struggle in a Sentence survey. If you haven't taken that yet, please go to the website and uh, take it. It helps me get to know what, how you guys experience your um, whatever battles you have, be it anxiety, PTSD, depression, uh, etc. This is from Sean. He's straight. He's in his 20s. About his depression, he writes, Feeling guilty for being here in the morning and guilty for not doing a damn thing at night. Anxiety, sitting in my apartment in an empty college town during the holidays, both relieved that no one is around and painfully lonely. Boy, that one just got me to my core. I have experienced that. I have experienced that. Uh, Other compulsive behaviors, no matter how many times I lock that door, I still won't feel safe. PTSD, useless anger and unnecessary running. Anger issues. Right. reminding myself that no, a douchey mustache doesn't warrant a beating. I don't know if I agree with that. I got to I gotta see the mustache before I can sign off on uh, there being peace. If I see some pompous ass with a David Niven mustache cut in front of me at line, that guy's getting a fucking beat down. This is also from the uh, Struggle in a Sentence collector uh, or the Struggle in a Sentence uh, survey. Um... Filled out by a woman who calls herself Mike Hunt. I expect that from dudes. I love when a woman shows up with that old chestnut. She's uh, bi. She's in her 20s. About her depression, she writes, I go through my life feeling like a country music fan at a rap concert. Bored, unstimulated, and a little horrified. Uh, About her ADHD, she writes, It's like trying to catch grains of sand in a sandstorm, where the grains are thoughts. When you open up your hand to look at the grains you've caught, you only see them for a second before the wind takes them and they blend in with everything else. That is so descriptive. This one is from a guy who calls himself Uranium 235. Uh, he's straight. He's in his 20s about his depression. He writes, deflated, unmotivated, and angry without passion. Anxiety, choked, paranoid, sweaty, sex addi- addiction. Just one more for Variety. Video game addiction, joyless, solitary, need that dopamine squirt. Codependency, constantly need approval, worried about getting permission to pursue personal goals. This is from the uh, shouldn't feel this way survey. And uh, this was filled out by a woman who calls herself Becca Boo. She's straight, she's in her 30s, was raised in an environment that was totally chaotic. What would you like people to say about you at your funeral? She was kind and made people's lives better. How does writing that make you feel? Like I'm going to cry. If you had a time machine, how would you use it? You can't change history. You can only observe it. I would want to see myself as an infant and see if I was happy then. Please write as many of these as you feel like. I'm supposed to feel blank about blank, but I don't. I feel blank. I'm supposed to be happy about living with my boyfriend, but I don't. I feel terrified. I'm supposed to be proud of losing weight, but I don't. I feel insecure and already afraid that the weight will come back and I will let people down. And that brings me to a quote that I want to send you out with or send you to the interview with. Um, thanks to a listener, Ian, he sent this in. It's about fear and it's a quote from the novel Dune. It's called The Litany Against Fear and it goes, I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain.
1: Every human being has weird thoughts going through their head.
0: I'm here with Elizabeth Lame. Uh, Elizabeth does a podcast, Totally Lame, and uh, also Totally Married with her husband, Andy, who is a uh, record producer. Yeah. Is that correct? And um, um, you won the Earwolf Challenge with, uh, yeah. with Totally Lame. How cool is that?
1: Pretty, pretty cool.
0: They had a, a Earwolf, for those of you that don't know, is kind of a uh, podcasting giant they have about probably 20 podcasts under their banner and they had a contest uh where people submitted their podcasts to win and you out of Winners. many 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 podcasts submitted yours won one and i listened to it and it's not surprising uh, you you oh, do thank a great you. job yeah
1: thanks yeah we're uh that was that was awesome that was a good day Winning. So
0: so I got an email from a listener who said, you should interview Elizabeth Lame. And I usually listen to my listeners because they are usually right when they suggest a, a, a guest. So I contacted you, and I purposely didn't ask you about your story. I knew a couple of pieces of it, but I... I kind of enjoy hearing things for the first time, even if they're sad and is maybe not not yeah. the, the right word, but it I, I find it to be... You um, find
1: sexual pleasure in hearing... I get a a, a
0: really veiny <laughs> erection when I hear about tragedy. Veiny <laughs> erection. That may be a first. That is, that is maybe the worst, <laughs> worst <laughs> adjective ever. <Really> <laughs> veiny. Who would that appeal to? maybe somebody drawing blood i think that would be the only person that that would
1: nurses do. across america that, right now are uh, thrilled
0: that reminds me of a uh a friend of mine actually a guest who had been on the the podcast before uh jesse perez uh, who is a former heroin addict and a, a nurse was struggling to try to draw blood from him one time and he was like let me show you how get done
1: <laughs> oh. <laughs> um that's great. Yeah. it all it all is for a reason. <laughs> yes, it all happened
0: for a reason. All the uh, all of the tragedy. So let's start. Let's start from the the beginning. Where were you raised? What was your home life like? Et cetera, et cetera.
1: I was, well, I moved out around a lot, but I consider myself to be from St. Louis because I moved there when I was ten and stayed there until I was eighteen. Home life was good. I mean, I had a great childhood like I mean my parents had in hindsight maybe not the best marriage Um, when I was in high school my dad lived in Houston and commuted which like meant I didn't you know see him much but um, What, what did he do he was a construction engineer so he he kind of worked he worked he worked himself up from you know he was like a farm boy in Rhode Island um, and he served two terms in Vietnam, and he was super smart and hardworking. And by the time he died, he was um, like vice president of this huge international construction engineering firm, and they built oil refineries mm. and airports. So uh, he was hardworking, but he wasn't around a lot. And my mom, also when I was in high school, I don't know what was going on, but she like my senior year of high school was like on a cruise most of the year (laughs) (laughs) so but other than like those weird things in hindsight life was good we had like my mom was uh, a great mom i got lots of affection i had lots of you
0: just had to be on a cruise to get the affection
1: (laughs) (laughs) i would write letters to her she would write very affectionate letters back (laughs) no but it was good i um I had like a really wholesome in high school. There was no, I had no angst. I was like, I was a cheerleader, but it, it wasn't. I wasn't like in the most popular clique, but I was kind of like liked by everyone. And um yeah.
0: you yeah. cheered for the other team, which people found really distasteful.
1: Yeah, it it, it rubbed some people the wrong way, but I I just I kind of like to spread the love. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so nice, kind of typical all American. Home life not perfect, but I think that's typical all American. Uh, Did your dad ever seem to have um,
1: rage issues or PTSD?
0: (laughs) Or you know, two tours of Vietnam? I just kind of wonder what. Yeah. How 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 does somebody escape through that? And
1: well, it's interesting. I mean, he my my sisters like this too. He did not like to talk about the past. It's like forward movement. Um as opposed
0: to all those Vietnam vet blabber mouths <laughs> that
1: don't stop
0: Oh, he's gonna open up again about killing the the child in the hut.
1: <laughs> Dad, can we have one holiday <laughs> where you don't bring you it don't up? You don't
0: glorify the burning bodies.
1: <laughs> um for like a school project once I asked him about it and he did tell one horrible story. Like the first night he was stationed there, his Someone that he had like made friends with was killed, so I think that was like the first bad thing. I know he saw bad things. He was also like in the CBs. I mean, they were they were building stuff so that the troops could come in, and so well, I don't know. I think it must have sucked, but uh, he was really quiet and very sweet, but could be very intense. And when he spoke, it was like important and calculated but he was also very loving when i graduated from high school my dad got a job out here in pasadena and my mom they finally like reunited and it was they had this amazing house and like they were both very happy they were also like really oddly back in love which was sweet and i was Going to college So when I would come home From break Like my dad would be like Slapping my mom's ass It was like Not Not sexually You know Just like yeah. a Love Pat Which was not <laughs> No I get it That's I don't need to paint this picture No I think it's
0: awesome I, I I think it's great for kids To see affection Between their parents
1: Yeah Pull, Yeah and Pulling I was,
0: each other's hair Saying you're <laughs> fucking dirty I got a treat for you <laughs> Suck it <laughs>
1: Uh, Just seeing all the collars, he would have her wear, you know, really beautiful collars. (laughs) This was so nice. No, it was nice, though. And then kind of that's when everything went to hell. My mom was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Um, It all happened really fast. I went back to school. I started school in Ohio. And she had this huge surgery called the Whipple And uh, it was effective, apparently, and she was doing really well. And then um, she, like, started to get jaundiced. This was probably six months later.
0: And you were at college in Ohio at this point?
1: I had gone back, like, I'd just gone back from my sophomore year, and I got a phone call that it was back. My dad was so in denial and was like, we're going to fight it, and he... Was getting every, you know, amazing specialist in the world on the phone. He, he like, was talking to Ross Perot about getting her into the best places. And I wanted to drop out of school and come home to be with her. And he, like, forbade me. And I had never gone against his will before. But I did. I dropped out of school in Ohio. I drove cross-country in my Jeep in, like, two days. I mean, I just drove straight to Pasadena.
0: What can you describe? What it's like when you get that phone call and you're driving cross cross country? What's going through your mind? What are you feeling? What are you I thinking?
1: think I was like crazy. I I didn't think really. There. Were, I mean, honestly, my my fear of my dad's wrath was almost equivalent to. I just knew what was happening. I knew my mom was going to die. Um. I, yeah, I think I was just out of my mind. I don't remember anything about the trip. I didn't sleep. I just drove. And so I arrived in Pasadena. My dad didn't talk to me for a few days, but he came around and eventually it turns out I was right. You know, uh, my thing. So that was September and my mom died December 19th. And Then I, like, kind of enrolled in school in Santa Barbara to make my dad happy, but I would come down, spend three days in Pasadena with my mom, go up to school. And the night she died, this is so weird and it's, like, a Lifetime movie, but I, um, it was my debutante ball in St. Louis. And she forced me and my sister to go to it. It was, like, we didn't have the choice and I knew... I knew when I was saying goodbye to her that I was like saying goodbye and I had to go be in this like ball gown presented to society of St. Louis and uh that night I got back to my hotel room and um there was like a message from my dad and he just said call me sweetie and I knew and then That night, we had, like, 60 people in our hotel room. It was all my dear friends from St. Louis and, like, family friends. So I kind of think that she choreographed all that. Um, So that sucked. And then I came back. And then I was really worried about my dad. He wasn't doing great. He was drinking a lot. Like, he played a lot of tennis. And one day, I found his tennis water bottle. And it smelled like he had been putting alcohol in it. Like he had been drinking while playing tennis, which is not a good sign. And, um, <clears throat> he was just broken. He was totally broken. He was working so much. Um, and the one nice thing that we did, which I think does illustrate how sad he was, was he wanted to take my sister and me on a, um, family trip to like kind of reconnect. Cause we were pretty much all, scattered and it's
0: just you and your sister the only two kids
1: so i was 19 and she was 22 um he took us on their honeymoon in germany like we went on their honeymoon which was weird it was sweet but also again looking back on it i'm like oh my god wow and then two months later he on their anniversary had a massive heart attack and so that was another phone call um that just rocked my world and so and he died he died yeah so within 10 months
0: you lost your mom and your dad
1: yeah Jesus Christ you have such like sweet eyes (laughs) I feel like I can't even look at you, but, um, I was very, very, very alone, and I had had this really sheltered, protected life. Um, you know, everything was planned out, and I, I think that it's hard enough getting out of college and being like, oh shit, <laughs> now there isn't like a roadmap. But I just, I didn't have. Um, yeah anything i had supportive friends and my sister uh, my sister and i dealt with it really differently and um
0: i mean i i can't even begin to imagine how untethered
1: oh my gosh i mean that's the perfect word i've used it so often i felt so untethered yeah
0: where do you where do you live then where where at the house in pasadena did you come back to that what
1: i think i did a little bit and then we put it on the market pretty quickly um but that was one of the things there had been flooding under the house that when we put naturally. it naturally <laughs> and i like we so you know those 19 and 22 year old kids had to deal with putting this like Big house on the market. Neither of us lived there at the time. I was up in school in Santa Barbara, and uh, like organized, having all the furniture moved out, having the flood like the floors refinished, like all of the stuff that now would give me, <laughs> you know, migraine headaches. At the time, I, I don't know. You just kind, I kind of just went through the motions. You, you must
0: and, have just been like in a fog. I mean,
1: yeah, I was for, and that's. It's interesting because, um, you know, since then I've had depression on and off, I can tell when I'm starting, I think people's depression manifests differently. And like a couple of weeks ago, I could feel myself slipping into it again. And I'm trying to be, we've been trying to get pregnant, so I can't go on meds, which I've enjoyed <laughs> in the past. So I'm trying to be really proactive and like healthy about it and put the work in before it slips too much but for me it is the fog when i feel the fog roll in and i'm like becoming numb and sort of detached and like i can watch five depressing documentaries in a row and not really cry oh, oh my god It's yes. when i'm like oh maybe i should go for a walk <laughs>
0: i know when the movie 7 feels comf- comforting that's <laughs> yes! when i know
1: oh my god yes
0: uh Tomorrow is the is the anniversary of of your mom passing away. Is it related? Does the the fog usually roll in when it comes around the anniversary of that, or is? uh, Well, it's interesting.
1: Um, My friend Tammy and I were talking last, and like last year, there was a moment in time when I was sitting in her car around this time hysterically crying, like really freaked out about money and all of this other stuff. And this has been a good year, like, but there have been all of these other stressors. And I don't know if it's like, this is coming and that makes me really more vulnerable to it. Or if it just so happens, I mean, that must be, I, it must be that it's like a a kind of buried trigger that I don't even really See, because around this time every year, it seems like I do struggle, but like the last few months have been stressful in other ways than they were last year. And I've, uh, so it's been like I, I've had some hard transitions with like in just life stuff. Um, so that's sort of been what I've pegged it as, but it must have something to do with that. I don't know.
0: And what you were saying before we started recording that you. You actually love the holidays. You love Christmas trees, and you love... I
1: fucking love a Christmas tree. Once we got this bad boy up, I was like, my spirit's lifted so much. It's just, I don't know why.
0: That must be nice.
1: It is nice. Yeah, I was, like, not happy. (laughs) Then we went and got the tree. Uh... I love how it smells I'm also a homebody, and i I feel like when you have the tree, you have a uh, like justification to stay home and not be like out and about
0: kind of to nest
1: yeah, I love to nest yeah documentaries
0: what's so funny. <laughs> funny when i when I look at Christmas trees, I think of the errand to go have to buy it <laughs> and the errand. To have to saw it up and put it in the uh, the trash can after it's done. Although I do oh I, I, I do enjoy seeing the pleasure my wife gets from from decorating it. I oh,
1: do. good, that's sweet.
0: And then we put. Um, I do enjoy we put the collar of our first dog uh, on the on the top of it.
1: Oh, and, and that's I, I always, so sweet. I always kind of enjoy the tradition ceremony. Yeah, the yeah. tradition of,
0: of of doing that. But I wish I wish I could enjoy. Um, Christmas more it's it's um,
1: yeah well if you have the baggage that comes along with it I mean I guess it's
0: but how do, how do you you've got the most unimaginable baggage with your mom died on December 19th and yet you can still find a place where Christmas is beautiful so you must not have loved her
1: I didn't really... Because I love Santa so much. (laughs) I just love Santa. Um, He died for our sins.
0: Oh, I think you got them mixed up. What?
1: Uh, No. You know, I had so many great Christmas... Like, Christmas was a total highlight growing up. So, I think... uh, Yeah, I think I'm able to separate them somehow.
0: Are you able to... Have a Christmas memory of your mom and have it be fond and not have it be sad?
1: Yeah, I think that that happened like uh, maybe four or five years ago. And that was when I. There's some point in grieving where your memories like s- flip back to the good ones. And also, I don't know, being married and having sort of like my own family and wanting to share more positive. Like at first, it's all you like front load all of the shit on, you know, the person you're going to spend your life with. Cause you're like, this is what you're dealing with. <laughs> <laughs> but after a couple of years of that, you're like, Oh, <laughs> you literally unpack your
0: baggage. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> here, hold this here. Is that crippling here? <laughs> um, but it's only fair cause you're meeting your in-laws and family and like you get to analyze all of that, which is sort of fun. And then, so eventually i wanted to you know paint and i w- i would love for andy to have a sense of who my family is which he does he said and uh, or who they were and so yeah sharing more happy positive memories i think the, the
0: thing that the i, I discovered in uh, i lost my dad in in 06 and the thing that i discovered about grief is that it, ha- it has its own timetable um I felt bad that I didn't cry for maybe the first four days. Um, I was just kind of numb. I mean, he'd been dying of cancer, so it wasn't a shock. We knew the end was coming, mm-hmm. but I didn't feel anything. Mm-hmm. I felt, I just felt numb. And then the moment that it really hit me was about eight months later, um no, I'm sorry, about about three months later, it was the NCAA March Madness thing, and my dad was a big sports nut. And every once in a while, I would call him to say, you know, who's the big team going to be? And I started to pick up my cell phone to call him oh. to ask, and I suddenly realized I will never be able to talk to my dad about his favorite thing oh. again. and that And that's when I felt the loss.
1: Yeah. Oh, God. That's
0: and it, it just that's a
1: big yeah it
0: just struck me as as weird that i couldn't cry in those first four days but then something as weird as that just hits blindside you and i guess i would want to say to anybody out there who is experiencing some type of grief don't put any presuppositions. Is that a right word? Uh,
1: Presuppository? Any- <laughs> <any>
0: Presuppository is <laughs> up your ass. Don't have any preconceived notions about how you are supposed to grieve. Yeah. Don't tell yourself that you're grieving right or you're grieving wrong. Because I, and also uh, I had a friend who had committed suicide in 2000 and I couldn't cry. And I felt like I was a terrible person because I couldn't cry. Mm-hmm. And I had to drink to to cry. Oh. And and I, and I, it, it made me feel... Um, Bad about myself, right? Have you experienced any part of the? Well, let's talk about about your grief, uh, your grief process, if you if you would.
1: Well, I mean, I relate to what you're saying. I don't like I read all of the books about the stages and stuff, and I'm I fully expected to be able to like look at my calendar and be like, oh, I'm moving out of anger and I'm going into denial, but um, mine was so you know it's messy and it's sloppy and I didn't I had maybe some guilt feelings about my dad because I had told my friend that I was I thought he was going to die just a few months after my mom did I knew it
0: you could just see the stress on him
1: I could see it he wore it I mean he aged like they were both 53 um
0: and it was what about 10 years ago uh,
1: it was 13 13 years yeah ago. so it's and It, I mean, honestly, I'm probably, I've probably really felt like at peace with it, um, for the last five years. So it's a long time, but the first three or four years were just a disaster. I mean, I threw myself into schoolwork. Um, so I graduated when I was 20 from UC Santa Barbara with a C. Average. Oh, watch out. <laughs> Here she comes. But it was like I just had to get the fuck out of that phase of my life because it was all wrapped up together. So I just like I took massive course loads through all of this eked by, you know, it was like all about efficiency, putting minimal effort in just to get the passing grade and get out.
0: And was it because being at college reminded you of when you got the call that your mom's cancer was back?
1: I mean, I think it was just, oh, this is a phase in my mind. I was like, it's, it, uh, I I don't think it was like being at college reminded me of anything. It was more that I just lumped it all together. It was like college was not great for me and I just wanted out, um, like, yeah, you
0: just do Looked at it and said, this is a mile marker that I'm fucking ready to be done yes, with. Yes,
1: exactly. And I moved to West Hollywood to pursue act, acting. And I got here, and I wasn't discovered <laughs> <laughs> right off the bat, or ever. Um but went to
0: Schwab's drugstore. You sat at the counter.
1: <laughs> I just waited with my malt <laughs> milkshake. Um, no, the first guy I met at... I went to this gay club called Rage. Mm -hmm. I don't know why he was there, actually. The first guy I met who showed an interest in me, I asked him to, like, move in with me. Very, I mean, then, basically. I was in a relationship. I love that you
0: were at Rage looking (laughs) for guys.
1: (laughs) I'm, if nothing, I'm I'm wise. (laughs) I know where to look for single straight men at Rage, which is, like, so gay. It's so gay. It's, like, angry gay called rage (laughs) anyway he moved in with me um i also at the time like i inherited money which i mean now that i'm 33 (laughs) like an aspiring writer i'm like what the fuck was i doing with all that money not great things with it and i like floated both of us and i i bought friends basically and i um he was an actor and a musician and a compulsive liar. And he just sucked all of the energy out of me. He, I didn't feel funny. I, like, lost who I was for a few years. Um, and then one day I found his wedding album. And he had had, like, balloons at his wedding. And I just... <laughs> I just was like, this is not going to work. So... <laughs> That's when I moved to New York, and that's when I really kind of started to find my footing. Did he have
0: lies on his balloons? <laughs>
1: <laughs> don't all balloons have lies on them? <laughs> <laughs> so, it's, it's a floating orb? I don't think so. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. So in New York, I like I reconnected with some of my girlfriends from growing up. I like realized I was funny. I kind of got my shit together, and that's when I feel like the healing really began but i was kind of in the the years after moving to west hollywood i feel like i was like sepia colored mm-hmm. like I wasn't me i i was like a shell i don't know
0: i i totally get that it's i i think when our depression or any other mental illness is kind of moves in that fog it does it mutes everything you, mm-hmm. your life just feels muted and that i remember going to a, a Psychiatrist one time and saying, "I feel like my life is on the other side of plexiglass, and I'm just looking at it and I can't feel it."
1: Oh my god, that's so accurate.
0: And everything then just feels like an effort. Like you're just going through the motions of, uh, when am I going to be able to have that smile that other people have at Christmas or whatever, or to be able to laugh at a comedy? (laughs)
1: How How do you feel about like? faking it till you make it
0: I think if you're I think there are certain people that maybe you just do that when you're around them because they're not appropriate to say hey I'm dying on the inside but I think you need to find somebody to say hey I'm dying on the inside and um, I don't know I, 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 don't, I don't know if there's a because
1: I'm sort of clinging to that <laughs> <laughs> concept right now Like, as, like, this recent kind of slip, I'm like, okay, shit. I'm going to start, like, making an effort to get out. Like, I'm not going to like being amongst people. In the meantime, I'm also, like, totally hurt if I'm not included in stuff, you know? It's (laughs) like, but I'm going to go out and, like, smile and nod and, like, go through the motions and just hope that that will carry me, but I don't know. I haven't. I haven't I know had success like, yet.
0: I know that feeling so much. It's like being around people almost feels like sandpaper. Just like uh, <sighs> I just want to get back to where I can just isolate and be where I know there isn't going to be intrusions, and it, and it can just. It's almost like you want to create a cocoon mm-hmm. that, while has its own sickness, at least you know what you're going to get.
1: Yeah. It's like you're, yeah, the sickness becomes your best friend. Like, I cannot wait.
0: Because you can't get rid of it. So it's like, I might as well make friends with this fucking thing. Let's watch a sad documentary.
1: Let's masturbate together. (laughs) That's right.
0: (laughs) What what is your depression like to masturbate to?
1: I don't Um, even want to know. Well, it's hard because there's a lot of feelings of numbness. So
0: (laughs) that would make it, that would make it vigorous. (laughs) (laughs) What, what is, is, um, your sexuality tied at all to your depression? To, yeah, in in that you you go to it to try to unnumb, or it's numbed by it, and you and you become kind of withdrawn.
1: Um. Uh, yeah, I feel like it's. I don't know. It's similar to like the watching the documentaries and kind of not feeling anything, and it's like you're. It's there's some weird sort of comfort in that and it's the same thing with sex and sexuality. And when I was really really depressed, I would watch a lot of porn. And I mean not tons, but like enough to warrant me saying that I watched porn. I don't do that anymore, but um I think if I did, I would it would be another like, oh, this is not, this is not good.
0: This is not the right medicine. Yeah. for for this.
1: Yeah, because I have like, I mean, I have a great sex life with my husband. I have like,
0: I've seen the pictures. They're <laughs> quite impressive. <laughs>
1: Thank you. Yes, they're hanging all <laughs> yeah. over our home. Yeah. Um, I have like a good fantasy space in my head, where I don't need porn ever. Like, I almost pride myself in just, I don't know, being creative there and. So to toss that all aside for like the like is uh, I don't know. That's not great. What can I
0: can I ask you what type of because I'm fascinated by women that uh, look at pornography for the longest time. I just thought it was men. And since I've started doing this show and been in support groups and read the surveys that people fill out, I'm um, surprised at the number of women that, that look at pornography. And I'm also kind of fascinated by what type of pornography they they look at are you are you comfortable talking about the type
1: yeah yes because it's pretty tame i think in the world of um as far as porn goes i mean i kind of my husband looks at like free sites that are kind of like conglomerate and it i don't like dig really deep or anything i'll just like i don't know what it is of any teenies
0: (laughs) what's that what did you say?
1: Is Ebony Teenies? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Ebony Teenies, what is that?
1: I don't know. That just popped into my head. I'm pretty sure it's a website. You know, uh, huge plug. If you <laughs> for are Ebony Teenies,
0: if you ever want to feel better about yourself and you're not a porn person, go online and just look at the number of things that people have are. Are into it's like oh wow on the on the scale of um dirty whatever yeah i'm i, I guess i'm not like a sick uh a pervert and not the people who are into you know
1: well something
0: different is, is wrong or they're they're a pervert but you just suddenly mm-hmm. realize there's a gazillion different snowflakes and i think
1: yeah i think i think that there is i think that there is a line to cross very quickly like I feel like kids today, their sexuality is going to be so fucked up because they are overexposed when they're like developing sexually to some really unrealistic sick shit. And all of those women in porn, this is why I think it's less likely for women to look at porn is none of those women are enjoying it. And I can see that. I know that they're getting paid to do this, like good on them, whatever. I'm not judging them, but I also like, I'm not suspending my disbelief to think that this girl loves what's happening to her. So that's sort of why, you know, I don't know what porn sites I've looked at because it's been so long, but that's kind of why when I go there, I'm like, Oh, this is not not indicative of like happy Elizabeth. (laughs) Right.
0: (laughs) That's such a good way of, of putting it. Um, yeah, the 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 pornography thing um I find I've totally lost what, what my point was. There was something I, I I know a point that I wanted to make.
1: Can I ask you something about yeah. is, were you married when your dad passed away? I was, yeah. What was that like for your wife?
0: I I think she she kind of rallies around me when I am going through something tough mm-hmm. she can be um she's she's italian american so she will often express her love in in terms of making sure i have things to eat mm. um encouraging me to take a nap um oh, man. you know she that's awesome <laughs> um, there was a time when i was playing hockey six nights a week and my and my teammates would say You know, my wife would divorce me if I played six nights a week. And my wife's answer to that has always been um, she knows that I'll appreciate our relationship more if I'm doing the things that I love. Mm -hmm. And so she always encourages the man, the man activities.
1: Oh, that's nice. Yeah.
0: She did stand up for a long time and knows men. Mm-hmm. She can outgross men. Mm-hmm. She can tell the sickest joke. She will, you know, something dark will come up on TV, and or something not not dark, and she will make a, a joke that I will go. That is over the line. <laughs> you know, that's one of the things that I that I like about her is she can still surprise me and make me laugh and right. and out out sick me. So I would say that she probably the most consistent thing is. She knows that I tend to minimize things that have happened to me and just say, "Oh, I'm okay. I'm moving forward." Mm-hmm. And she will encourage me to see somebody about it um, and to not just assume that I've processed it and
1: mm-hmm. and move
0: on. I would I would say, um, what the fuck was it? There? there there was something that I wanted to before we finished up the, the maybe thing. maybe teenagers. Oh, or I know I know what it was. Um, speaking of of uh, children and being exposed to that stuff. I watched a documentary last night called Sexy Baby.
1: That is exactly... I watched that, like, five days ago. Yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking yes. about. There's, that kid... Everybody
0: should, should watch that yeah. documentary.
1: The kid who was saying... It was like a 13-year-old boy. He's the same kid that the filmmakers asked, have you seen a bush? Like, bush on a girl. And he said, yeah, but I'm not going to call her again. Yeah, because now everything is waxed, even at like 13. He said that his first exposure to porn, you know, it wasn't seeing a, a picture of a nip slip in his dad's playboy. It was like some gnarly shit. And he said, I will never forget it. And it wasn't in a good way. It was like that has scarred him.
0: Yeah, and I and I believe one of the girls said the said the same thing. She came home and cried after seeing accidentally seeing something um people fucking or or something. I think she was 12 when she saw it. Uh the thing that that I took away from that documentary the most was the game that young girls are forced into or allow themselves kind of to be drawn into is competing for attention on Facebook by presenting pictures of themselves that are... that will get boys' attention, but not doing it to the point where they cross an invisible line that makes them a slut.
1: the point of no return.
0: The point of no return. And so they are trying to find how can I get more attention? And so so it seems to be these girls one-upping each other Mm -hmm. for the attention of these boys and not trying to cross that line and i just wanted to to say to them it is not a race it is i saw this in comedy when i first got into it there would be comedians who would do really generic material Mm -hmm. um almost steal from other people and then we we call them button pushers Mm -hmm. and they would kill but anybody who knew Anything about comedy could see that these guys were going nowhere. They were just going to work these shit clubs the rest of their lives and right. do their button pushing. And I want to—I I see a, a similar thing to those to those little girls. I remember I asked Larry Miller one time because um, he was kind of a big name comedian when I was starting out, and he said, "Picture yourself as a powerful semi truck going about two miles an hour." And that's the, oh, the. I love that. That's the image that I would like to say to these little girls: is Don't worry about who got more friends, who got more likes, whose Facebook picture got more attention. Gather. It's so y-
1: depressing. Like, yes. I mean, I feel that way in in the world of like social media and comedy. Like me trying to build this totally lame brand and get myself staffed as a writer and all of this stuff. Like, people get staffed off of their Twitter feeds. I'm I'm like actively, consciously trying to make my Twitter feed more exciting and get more followers. And like that is a weight. It's like an it's so annoying. It's not my nature, but I'm like forcing myself to do it. And to know that these thirteen year old girls are you know, and also they're in this insular bubble where they don't know yet that their little social world is not the be all and end all. And so to them if someone else is getting more likes or looks sexier or whatever, then they're losing. It's heartbreaking. It's so heartbreaking. And even the girl in that documentary was like, didn't you see her like digress? Mm -hmm. Like she was at before puberty. She was like into
0: gym gymnastics. gymnastics. She
1: was so well-spoken. She was into poetry. She was so self-aware. And I was like, wow. And then like, in the throes of puberty. And she almost spoke to it like she knew it wasn't good. And she even said, I wish I were more, like, interesting so my parents would respect me, sort of. Like, she almost knew. But it was like, oh, my God, you're slipping And You can see her slipping into that world. It's yeah. interesting documentary.
0: And do you think that's because... In whatever it is that we're pursuing, and we feel like we got to be the Maserati instead of the the, the slow moving semi, do you think it's because we're wrapped up in what other people's opinion? You know, be it the Twitter feed or posting an attractive thing on Facebook. Because I catch myself doing that too with the with with the Twitter. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, is it if we take our attention away from being obsessed about what other people think of us, um,
1: we die. <laughs>
0: Or we become maybe healthier, you know, if we... I think
1: so. I mean, but it's kind of, to me, it's like I don't have the choice because to be competitive in what I'm pursuing, like... And also, I do like Twitter. Like, when I have a clever tweet that I'm proud of, I feel good about it. So it's I'm not, like, shitting on Twitter. But this notion of, like, needing people to like me because that... Is what I'm building is like fans, basically. Is uh, it is, it is sad.
0: Maybe, you know, maybe the the route to take is to say, okay, this is a necessary part of building my career. I'm going to put the footwork in, and then I'm just going to stay out of the results. If nobody retweets this, um, I, I'm okay with that.
1: That's how I think I've operated up until this point, and like my husband who's just a fucking genius record producer has had, has been a two miles per hour semi and he is getting his shine on now and everything has always been so honest. And like our podcast is that way, like put it out if people like it great, if they don't fine, I do a poem every day I put it out if people like it great, if they don't fine. But suddenly I don't know why I'm feeling this like, oh, shit, I maybe need to be doing more, and, like, maybe I need to, you know, care more. And maybe this, like, oh, I'll just put my stuff out and, like, hope it flies is not enough.
0: Well, one of the surveys that I have on the website, um, and I think about 4,000 people took it, and it asked, what is the most common negative thought that you have? And the overwhelming one that they had was that I don't do enough. mm So if we're all thinking that we're not doing enough and that everybody is doing more, maybe it's a lie. Maybe we are doing enough.
1: I think you're right. I do.
0: So maybe we've got to find a way to be okay Mm -hmm. with...
1: Man, I'm glad this is happening right now. Honestly, it was like two days ago. I was like, I got to get this in high gear. Um, I think you're totally right. And there's some... I mean if it comes from a place of honesty and I think of a clever tweet and I want to put it out and land how it may, that is so much healthier than, like, turning it into a a burden.
0: And, you know, also the thought that strikes me is so few people I know who have achieved something that pleases them have done... Has it been a linear path of their planning? Almost always it's something that's kind of random, where the universe... Mm -hmm sticks a hand out and says, Absolutely. Hey, come this way. So, you know, it's 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 been my experience because I've had to do this to to stay sober, is to just kind of take it twenty four hours at a time and try to care less about about what other people think of me and care more about what I think of myself. Am I giving my dignity away? Mm. I gave my dignity away for many, many years because I was just Uh, whatever you thought of me was what I thought of me. Right. And that is a really sick way to live. And I think that's what these, especially these little girls, little boys too, but I think these little girls, um, are, are dealing with when all of a sudden boys become the most important thing in the world. And I also want to say to them, you know, boys at that age just have fucking boners and are dumb and, Yes, yeah, some of them are sensitive and smart, but most of them... Just you're not
1: w- getting anything from they, that.
0: <laughs> they just want something to orgasm to in the next 24 hours. Mm-hmm. They are not concerned with the long term.
1: And if you're lucky enough, it could be you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I agree, totally. I mean, it. I think that I'm so glad that I was alive when I was I mean, as a child, just... The pressure oh oh that God. they feel. And also, like...
0: And everything's for keeps, because it's all recorded. It's horrible. It's all recorded.
1: Yeah. It's, um... I I feel... My heart goes out to kids today, because I think they just have so much more pressure and so much more on their plate. Like, it wasn't hard enough. Uh, yeah. My... Do you know Eliza Skinner? Mm-mm. Um, she, she's a fantastic comedian, and, uh writer and she and I relate a lot in the career stuff. And I think we've had like very, very different, but also similar paths in the sense of like what we're pursuing and where we are and things. And she, her advice is always like eyes on your own paper. And that's, I think speaking to what you're saying. And I apply that in career and like just self love and, you know, just, just be you do your thing Eyes on your own paper, and it's not about what so and so and so and so is. Yeah, about
0: because I think you do when you get into that race. I do think you give some of your dignity away, and I think dignity does like to move at two miles an hour. I don't think dignity
1: mm-hmm. moves at
0: a hundred miles an hour. Yeah, and
1: oh, I love that two miles an hour semi.
0: Yeah, thank thank Larry Miller for uh, oh, for that one. And I do I many times like if a friend of mine would get something on TV and I didn't I would just go back to what what he said and mm-hmm. think okay, all right. Just, you know, this isn't a race. This isn't a race. Right. Um let's go back to the um the talking about the about the grief. Um can you talk about uh, about the process of after you got out of college um After you moved here, you met the guy, you started spending the money.
1: Yeah. Oh, is that what...
0: That's kind of where we were. Yeah. One
1: thing I... I mean, the guy, having him move in was obviously I was just trying to create a family. I really wanted kids. I was 20. Um, So I became a nanny, which was awesome. But I also feel like I might have been inappropriately, like, enmeshed in there because I was so obsessed with how could family. You, how
0: could you not be? Yeah. How could you not be? I mean,
1: yeah. Both was, your
0: parents are gone.
1: I also, I didn't mention this. My first, like, love, who was my high school boyfriend, he was older. He, he went to Notre Dame. He was, I mean, he was pretty shitty to me as, like, 18 year old boys are to their girlfriends especially if you're in college and she's still in high school but um he like I mean we definitely had a connection and he was like there with me when I found out about my mom and then the like 10 months between my mom and my dad he just kind of faded away, but he had been like such an important part of my life. So I also like when my dad died, I made, I made a choice not to call him. Like he called me later. He heard about stuff, but in that time I like lost my best friend who I thought I was going to like marry someday, you know, both of my parents, my sister had just met her future husband. So she was like, I don't even know what that was like for her. Honestly, in hindsight, falling in love at the same time that you're losing you know experiencing Mm -hmm. all this loss so I was really just totally fucking untethered and on my own and I didn't have I was out here all of my friends were in the Midwest I just was like God that
0: must have been frightening
1: it was terrifying Um, so I did kind of try to create this family I think I chose poorly don't go pick your family at rage (laughs) lesson learned um and then when I moved to New York, that's when I sort of started to cultivate a really nice family. I had this awesome group of girlfriends. We were like the sad Sex in the City. We would watch <laughs> Sex in the City while eating like Chinese takeout and Indian. <laughs> like just getting fat and stoned. <laughs> Watching these women be like, We're like them. <laughs> but we're in like a basement apartment. Uh yeah, so New York was awesome. I mean, I just had a great time there. I met my husband there and uh kind of got my sea legs back and i humor has helped me so much in dealing with grief and i mean as you obviously can relate to so
0: your relationship with your sister what what is the dynamic like when you two go through something like that even though you were Apart is has there been a dynamic to it since you lost your parents and today in in terms of how you two feel about it, talk about it, relate to each other about it?
1: I think we've come a long way um see it's hard for well I can only speak to my take on it i actually i don't know what hers is, and I almost feel guilty speaking about it but i felt at the time like very there was there was a great divide between us going through this and of course it was hard and she had way more responsibility and like had to take care of way more of like the estate stuff and business stuff just by virtue of being older and like more responsible and she kind of took on a mother role but it was more to me it felt more like judgmental um but then I think I think it's similar to like the self love thing, like she did not like the boyfriend that I lived with she, she could was probably right tell he was a user <laughs> she was right, yeah, um so that like we weren't very close then. I think it's interesting, like we started to become a lot closer when I was in New York and started to like find myself again, so I think that that was just her being kind of protective, like she wasn't. Supportive of my choices because they weren't me making good choices for me. Yeah,
0: she couldn't hide the look on her face about yes. how she felt about. Yeah, I mean, her concern. For she you. was
1: always polite, like that. Yeah. That was what it was. It, it was painful because it was like, you know,
0: what she wasn't saying.
1: Yeah, but she was totally right. Yeah, and so and like she loves Andy. Like our families get along wonderful now, wonderfully, and she has I have two nephews who are fucking amazing so it's really great now we have an awesome dynamic i think one way we differ is she doesn't like to talk a lot about the past i love to but i think we've kind of both come to a place where we can respect the boundaries there and like as long as we do that everything is great so uh but we do things like christmas eve we cook my dad's spaghetti Which we do these little things that are really cool to kind of remember them without, you know, me crying on the phone with her every day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I think I was probably pretty selfish because she had this boyfriend at the time it happened and so I think I was probably really needy, and it was like what what you're not giving me at the time, but I was 19, and I don't think I gave much thought to what she might have needed from me also. So it was just hard, but I think we made it through pretty good. One thing I've learned through all of this is my pain is not any worse. Uh, like, it's not less or more than anyone else's. I think, yeah, all all pain is sort of... We're all human and we all hurt
0: absolutely and and the emails that I get from from people um, when they express their their pain so often they say, "Why can't I just get over this and I just want to say you know your pain is your pain no matter how little your tragedy is or how large your tragedy is or whatever happened give it Just give it weight and talk about it and Mm -hmm. and deal with it. And I would imagine one of the big reasons why you've been able to come out the other side of this is you you talk about it.
1: Yeah, I do. A lot. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I almost feel silly now that I bring it. But I also like I find a lot of maybe bad like humor. Like I kind of enjoy making people uncomfortable about Mm it. But I hope it gives them permission to then, like, talk about their stuff. But, like, in the podcast, I throw down dead parent jokes all the time. I mean, it's been 13 years, and I still bring it up all the time. I don't know at what point I'm going to need to... <laughs>
0: My wife, uh, her her mom uh, passed away from cancer in 96, I think it was. And... Probably for ten years, and she'll still sometimes even say, "Let's do, let's do the bit," where <laughs>
1: I can't wait to hear where this.
0: somebody uh, where I'll ask her. I'll go, "Hey, how's your mom doing?" And she go, "Oh my my mom died." And I'll be like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry to hear that. But she went. She, at least she went quickly. And she'll say, no, actually, she, she had a lingering form of cancer. <laughs> and I'll say, well, at least we, it was in, in only one part of her body. And she'll say, oh, no, 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 it was actually in her brain, and then it spread to her lungs.
1: Oh, so great. Classic.
0: <laughs> Some people will laugh, and other people will just be like, oh, my God, you that's two. Amazing. Are, that's, that's how my wife dealt. Oh. You know dealt with it, and yeah. and when it comes to the anniversary of her her mom 's birthday or or the day that her mom died, um, you know sometimes she' go i 'm sad, I miss my mom, and yeah you know well, of course, so, so we definitely have have that, but
1: yeah it 's not to say the humor deflects the real emotions right. underneath it, but oh, I do like a dead parent 's joke yeah. thrown around here and there
0: there is and it 's one of the reasons I think people feel a kinship sometimes to what we talk about on this podcast is you know sometimes we'll make jokes about being molested. You know, if you've been molested if there's something really cathartic about hearing somebody that else that's been molested crack a joke about it.
1: Right. I I, I don't know why that I don't know why either. why that is,
0: but um and I suppose the people that are offended just turn it off and never listen again. But mm-hmm. um I think that's a part of the the healing process is to to be able to, to laugh at it because maybe, maybe then it reminds you that there is still life. There is still, there is still forward.
1: Definitely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is, but I, I know I'm cool with it.
0: Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for, for, um, Oh, we got to do a fear off and a love off. The fuck am I talking about?
1: Oh, Oh boy. Here we go.
0: Did, uh, were there any seminal moments that, uh, we didn't talk about that you wanted to, to touch on?
1: I think we, we really hit the the big ones. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> um let's do fears first.
1: Got those in drugs.
0: All right. You want to start?
1: Um well my grandma had the second longest documented case of Lou Gehrig's disease, so my no. fear is having the longest.
0: Oh my God. That's intense. Um I am going to be continuing the fears of a listener named Melissa, and she says, "I'm afraid something bad will happen in my house, and I will hear a weird noise, but be too lazy to move and check it out, and thus not help people when they needed it." Mm. I'm selfish. I would have thought, and then be stabbed in my bed.
1: I know. Who are these people in your house? D- I didn't even
0: think about <laughs> Who are anybody.
1: The people, Melissa. How many people are in your house? Yeah. <laughs> these people. <laughs> Um is it my turn? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um having a child who is a psychopath? Yeah. It's a fear. It's a bad egg.
0: Yeah. I I could I don't even know what to say about that. <laughs> that that is a nightmare beyond nightmares and I know we have listeners. I've gotten emails from people that have kids that that have mental disturbances, and my heart goes out to them, because not only do you have to deal with that kid, but you also have to deal with people that think you're making the kid that way, yeah. and that you're a bad parent, and that has got to be agonizing. Ugh. So, a big, big hug, and lots of love to any parent out there that's, that's dealing with that. Um, Melissa says, I'm afraid I will never be able to stop returning back to my obsessive thoughts after positive times.
1: Letting anxiety and hurt consume me until I'm a bitter shell who will die of a heart attack.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I wonder where that comes from. (laughs) Um, I'm afraid that my tendency to return back to old issues after I think they are better disappoints those who care for or help me. Friends, therapists, parents. That You know, it's been my experience that it's two steps forward, one step back. Mm -hmm. And give yourself some compassion and some leeway when you take that one step back.
1: Yeah. Be gentle. Yeah. Um, I'm afraid that I'm going to get to a point in my life where I, for fun, try out either meth or Scientology. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that may be one of the best ones I've ever heard, <laughs> that those are both side by side. <laughs> um, I'm afraid that I will never get out of my parents' house because I can't find full-time teaching positions and will always only be an adjunct. Nice word.
1: Mm. I think you're going to find that teaching position Yeah, smarty pants.
0: (laughs) Smarty in the basement. Yeah. (laughs) Just assuming. Just assuming.
1: Adjunct. Um, My husband dying and me being so devastated that I'm compelled to take my children on our honeymoon. (laughs) (laughs) Where'd that
0: one come from? I don't know. Uh, I'm afraid of compost machine things in the sink. They scare the shit out of me.
1: Oh, yeah, like a a hand might slip in it. I
0: see, compost machine things in the sink. uh, Yeah. I got you.
1: Well, I'm just afraid that the last thing I wrote or podcast I did was the best, you know, like it's done. You're done. That's just general, everyone.
0: Uh, I'm afraid of dying in some embarrassing way like the girl in Dead Like Me who I believe got hit in the head by a flaming toilet. Yeah, I get she is a character and it, it's not real, but ever since I watched that show, I get scared that I will die in some weird-ass death. <laughs> That's a good one. That is a good one. Yeah. Is that it for your fears?
1: I think so. Okay. I don't like any of my others. All right,
0: let's go to loves. <laughs> okay. You can never have enough love. I
1: I love waking up. My dog wakes me up with this like she puts her face on my face and goes. Oh. Mm. Oh. Mm, which means she has to go take a shit. But it's like <laughs> but it's so still, cute. There's
0: nothing better than having a dog's face on your face. Oh, it's I so could, good. I I won't even move when one of my dogs does that. That's just like I just <laughs> want to soak it in. Uh Jesse Giovanco. These this is a thread from Facebook. Um Jesse Giovanco says, I love pretzels. I always forget that I love pretzels, but the instant I eat one, I remember how much I love them. Totally relate to Good that. Good
1: pretzels. I love overcast rainy days, similar to what we were talking about, because I feel like it justifies me to sit inside and just cocoon.
0: I've said the exact same thing. It's <sighs> like, finally, the world is in sync with me.
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah.
0: Sarah Bong, I'm sure she's never gotten tired of having that last name. Uh, says I love that full first that first full stretch in the morning.
1: I love post snowboarding beers.
0: Oh. It is so good. It's almost like you've earned it.
1: Oh my. God. Even though it's God.
0: recreation, the, yeah.
1: It is such an award, you're right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Unless you're an alcoholic and then it's the beginning of a <laughs> night that you will regret. <laughs> Martin Willis, former guest, says, I love taking the time to watch a beautiful sunset.
1: Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Okay. He's the
0: only only person that feels that
1: way. (laughs) Um, Mine is, uh, oh God, I feel terrible saying this after this podcast, but I wrote it down. I love retweets, follows, (laughs) and. All facts on Twitter.
0: <laughs> hey, I'm the same way. Thank you for your honesty. I'm the same way. I wish it didn't excite me like it does. Um, Angela, the artist, uh, says, I love being at the beach and the anticipation of waiting for the sun to come up so I can go down to the beach.
1: I thought she was going to say so I can go down on my boyfriend. <laughs> um, I really love the way my husband's neck smells.
0: Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. Courtney Hobson says, I love feeling the unexpected nudge of a pet by my legs. It's a little reminder of, hey, I'm here and I love you, or the alternative, feed me, or your alternative. I got to take a shit.
1: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's good.
0: Is that it for your love? I think that's it. Elizabeth Lame, thank you so much. People can find uh, your your podcasts um, by going to Earwolf or just finding them on iTunes.
1: Yeah, we have a totallylame.com it's l a i m e and you can find my poems and podcasts that's basically it
0: yeah thank you for being so uh, generous in talking about your your pain and
1: of course thank that, you for having me this is yeah, nice
0: i appreciate it many thanks to elizabeth for uh, for just a great conversation and uh, being so open and honest before we get to uh, some surveys and an email uh that I want to read I want to remind you guys that there's a couple of different ways to support the show if you feel so inclined you can support us financially by going to uh the website uh mentalpod.com and making a one-time PayPal donation or my uh, my favorite lost well, my voice there for a second my favorite a recurring monthly PayPal donation for as little as 5 bucks a month it may not seem like a lot to you but it means the world to me And brings me a little closer to my dream of being able to support myself doing this full-time um you can also support the show non-financially by going to itunes giving us a good rating and uh, that boosts our ranking brings more people to the show and uh you can also help by spreading the word through social social media about the the show that uh, that helps a lot too um oh and go check out the forum um there's a really cool vibe in the in, in, in the forum. A lot of people really getting honest with each other and opening up about their issues. It's uh it's really a beautiful thing. Uh, sometimes I'll pop my head in there and uh, just see some of the most beautiful supportive exchanges between um, people in the forum. And uh, yeah, all right. I want to kick it off with. This is from the I shouldn't feel this way survey. Filled out by a woman who calls herself K! Exclamation point. K! Exclamation point. However, you would pronounce that. She's straight. She's in her twenties. Was raised in a stable and safe environment. Um, what would you like people to say about your, your funeral? She didn't give a fuck. And fuck is cat as in uh, all caps. I think just for that alone, I wanted to read this. Uh, how does writing that make you feel? Disappointed. I am not exactly living up to that. If you had a time machine, how would you use it? I would probably jet ahead a little bit and make some money on the stock market while I was up there in the future. I try to observe, and then this is in all caps, as little as possible. I don't really understand that. Why why the uh consciously not observing much in the in the future? Uh, maybe if maybe she has fear about the future. I don't know. Um I'm supposed to feel blank about blank, but I don't. I feel blank. She writes, I'm supposed to feel accomplished about my career advancement in this competitive field, but I don't. I feel fucking terrified. I'm supposed to feel good about having a committed boyfriend, but I don't. I feel fucking terrified. I'm supposed to feel good about being young and attractive, but I don't. I feel guilty, privileged, ashamed, deserving of sexual assaults, disillusioned about reality, and fucking terrified of getting older. I'm supposed to feel good about being sex positive and having a high sex drive, but I don't. I feel like a disgusting piece of shit slut who will never, ever, ever find anyone who wants to stick around. I'm supposed to feel good about other people, of my demographic entering my competitive field, but I don't. I feel ununique and threatened and losing some of the attention I whore myself out for by being young slash female. You know, I read a lot of surveys. And a lot of people being hard on themselves. And this has to rank up there as
1: th-
0: some of the most harsh, unforgiving. Ah. I want to give her a hug. How does it make you feel to write your feelings out? She writes, I think about this exact dichotomy a lot, actually. So although overall, these things make me feel inadequate or confused, I'm accustomed to to that feeling so writing them doesn't feel too bad. Do you think you're abnormal for feeling what you do? She writes, I don't know. I am so bad at judging how humans feel behind what they present. For example, I absolutely cannot imagine somebody feeling guilt or shame or any of the bad things I feel. I just can't imagine they are feeling bad and hiding it. I imagine they simply do not feel bad. Logically, I know I'm not abnormal, but it's hard to reconcile when I'm in my head and nobody else's. Well, I can tell you this, a lot of people feel the way you do I'm just struck by the intensity of the way that you feel about about yourself um, would knowing other people feel the same way make you feel better about yourself she writes probably a little bit but it wouldn't change my negative thinking just my thinking about my negative thinking I well, just want to give her a big dose of love This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Sushi Baby. She's 24, um, bisexual. Uh, She clarifies, I don't really identify myself as either. If a person is attractive, then so be it. She was raised in an environment that was pretty dysfunctional. Um, Never been the victim of sexual abuse. Uh, Deepest, darkest thoughts. She writes sexual thoughts about children, boys specifically. I fantasize about homosexual intercourse involving a man a man and a child. Deepest darkest secrets, I drink alcohol while driving, and I own a strap-on that I masturbate with as if the penis were my own. Um, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. She writes, I would never, never as in caps, act upon these fantasies. That's why they are fantasies, but I have strong sexual urges to molest young boys. I do not wish to harm, only to explore. Juvenile curiosity. The fantasy can also include myself being the young boy and being molested by a loving, caring, older male. Would you ever consider telling a partner or close friend your fantasy? She writes, my boyfriend of four years knows and has accepted it with lots of love and understanding. My best friend has done the same. Um, that's beautiful. That is beautiful that you have you know, such a clear boundary that those are just your thoughts and that they don't define who you are and um, and that you can see you're 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 lovable, um, but we get to this part: do these secrets and thoughts generate any particular feelings towards yourself? She writes, "I consider myself the most disgusting person for even thinking such a thing. I want to protect kids, and I'm a hypocrite for what I fantasize about. I've been getting help for this for the past few months, but it's hard to accept. You know, I just want to give you a big hug because." The thoughts that we have in our head, we have no control over the thoughts that pop in there and what we're turned on by and, uh, whether or not we act on them. That's, that's what's important. And, um, you're doing something about it. You're talking to somebody about it and you've opened up to, to people that are trustworthy. So I say high five. Uh, do you have any comments or suggestions to make the mental illness happy hour podcast better? Um, she writes, I'm a new listener, and I'm finding such uh, solace in the brutal honesty of your guests. Well, I want to thank you for your your uh, brutal honesty. I want to read this email that I got from a listener named Amelia. And um, there's actually two parts to it. i read the first part. Um Hi Paul, I really enjoyed your interview with Maria Bamford. Thanks for that one. Um, a long time ago, you mentioned that you'd like to speak to someone who had severe postpartum depression. The Teresa Strasser interview definitely got into that. But have you ever spoken to someone at length about PPD specifically, like for ninety minutes? I came to the podcast about a year ago, and I think I've listened to all of them. So apologies if I've missed one about that. Anyway, I had really vicious PPD, medicated and recovered. Um, And what struck me about your interview with Maria was the topic of unwanted thought syndrome. For me, that's exactly what PPD is for a limited time, which can be a month, six months, 18 months. So it's not pleasant at all. Um, I had a phobia about my baby drowning. This is because, one, we had a large pond in our backyard, and two, one of my exes lost uh, an 18-month-old brother to this when he wandered out the back door and into a pond. What started as a sad story became my complete obsession. Eventually, we moved because I couldn't stand it anymore. I hallucinated, if that's the right word, constantly that the baby would end up in the water. Like she'd fly out of my arms and I wouldn't be able to catch her. Or somehow, even though she couldn't crawl yet, she'd get out of her crib, unlock the door, and scramble down to the pond, or that I would lose control and throw her in. I could see every detail of this happening over and over and over. It still makes me sick to think about it. One day, I decided to try to desensitize myself by putting her in the baby Bjorn and standing next to the edge of the pond to show myself, hey, see, you're in charge here. Nothing's going to happen. I ended up frozen. Literally, it was the winter. To the spot, for at least 45 minutes, shaking and crying, unable to move in any direction. The whole thing made it worse, not better, and it just got worse and worse after that until I saw a psychiatrist who promised she would, quote, fix me, and she did, mostly through Effexor and sleep. My shrink calls these intrusive thoughts. They were never about harming my baby, just unbelievably horrible things happening that I... Never would have thought under normal circumstances. It was interesting to hear you both speak about it. I'm fascinated by PPD. There's definitely a hormonal component, but I think the type of person you are before becoming pregnant has a lot to do with it. I think for some people, especially those with complicated mother relationships, the sheer terror of being handed an infant, one that you wanted, which is even crazier, drives some people right over the edge. It did me. The way I describe PPD to other people is there are hundreds of planes flying overhead all day long, every day. We hear them, we see them, we never think about them. With PPD, you suddenly start looking up and thinking, that plane is headed for me. I know it is. I can't stop it. And I deserve it. Because I can't protect this baby or me or the planet or anything because there is no point in anything. Whose idea was it to create another human when the world is fucked? How can this child not be fucked up with me as its mother? Oh yeah, and there are spiders coming out of the ceiling, which is me as its mother, which is, oh, uh, there are spiders come out of the ceiling, which is my fault too. It is amazing how fast medication cleared that up. I definitely had my issues over the years, but that one was specific and fixed quickly once I sought help. I love that as an example of how, you know, quote, unquote, crazy things can get. And then if we reach out for help, how much better things can get. Uh, I want to read this. This is from the Shame and Secrets survey filled out by a guy named Jeff. He's straight. He's in his 20s, was raised in a stable and safe environment, and uh, never been sexually abused. Deepest, darkest thoughts. Uh, he writes going to sleep and not waking up, drinking myself to death, or taking a pill that will stop my existence, deepest, darkest secrets, not being aroused by my ex fiance and forcing myself into arousal uh, sexual fantasies most powerful to you. He writes, laying back and having a woman give me a hand job without me having to do any work. I love that 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 is just that is fucking Roman. <laughs> Just not doing it. Just laying back. Just eating grapes. You know, fuck it. Go one step further. Have a machine breathe for you. Also, <laughs> I, I, you know, I would be lying if I, if I said that that uh, that fantasy doesn't hold some allure. There's something nice about just being catered to and pampered. Um, would you ever consider consider telling a partner, close friend, your fantasies? He writes. I would and have, but the partner I've been with saw this as lazy and not giving her enough sexual attention. Well, that's understandable. Uh, did these secrets and thoughts generate any particular feelings towards yourself? He writes that I am selfish and egotistical. Right. This next one is... We're going to go out on this one. This is from the um, Happy Moment Survey. And if you haven't taken this one, please go to the website and do it. And these aren't big moments. These are just kind of sublime moments. Um, this is filled out by a guy who calls himself Anonymous. He's straight. He's in his 40s. Um, was raised in a stable and safe environment. Um, although uh, he, he prefaces, uh, whatever the word is, adds. Oh, I want a better word than that. Qualifies. That's the word I was looking for. Uh, A bit anal about being perfect, his his environment he was raised in. Um, Describe a happy moment that you had. And he writes, I had spent most of a year helping my cousin build his house. I did nearly all the wiring myself under the supervision of his uncle, a certified electrician. When we finally got all the wiring done, and at the end of yet another long day, we're getting ready to switch it on, I said, hang on, and quickly wired a temporary light socket to where the front porch light would go. His uncle hooked up the power to the house itself, and we threw the main breaker. And that one little light bulb on that front porch came on. The house was alive. We pulled out some chairs and sat there on the front porch, staring at it like it was a campfire. I love that. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And to anybody out there who's feeling stuck or hopeless, you are so not alone. You are so not alone. There is hope. You just got to ask for help. I'm glad I did because I would not be here if I hadn't. So, give yourself a big hug. And thanks for listening.
1: Everybody I know is bizarrely
0: beautifully everybody up up I know is weird is bizarrely, up. Fucked, up I know is weird bizarrely fucked up in some weird ways.
1: Bizarrely beautifully fucked up, up in some weird ways.